0: to dissect every trailer plot twist and game released for the geekiest of fans the mothership saving the universe from bad comic book adaptations every friday
1: all aboard the mothership the geek culture podcast from the usa today network thanks so much for joining us and happy friday everybody
3: happy friday happy friday
1: Uh, Let's meet the crew. Uh, I'm Brett Molina. I play video games. And what's getting me through this week is I actually um, started watching the Netflix documentary, Um, This Is Pop. I think it's like a five or six episode series that basically looks at the history of pop music over time. And it's really fascinating. Um, They had some really good episodes. They had one. The first episode focuses on boys to men and their influence on pop music. And it was really fascinating because it focused on how they... They basically birthed a lot of the late 90s, early 2000s boy bands at that time, like NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys. And it was very insightful and it was just really interesting to see kind of how their career influenced all those other groups after it. Um, But there were also some other good episodes, too. They had one looking at Sweden and how Sweden is basically this birthplace for like a ton of the pop songs we love to listen to all the time. There was another one, uh, Festival Rising, which is basically looking at the history of music festivals. So there's a lot of good episodes there, and I really enjoyed it. And, you know, it was it was, nice, was kind of cool just kind of seeing this deconstruction of, you know, music and pop and kind of how all these songs and and other festivals and events kind of took place. So I, I highly recommend if you're a big pop music fan.
3: I'm Brian Truitt. I watch movies. And what's getting me through this week is a rewatch of the Fear Street Trilogy, it ends this week, guys. If you haven't seen it yet, watch it. We talked to Lee Janiak last week about it, but it's a really, really good um, reinvention of the teen slasher. And this week's finale is set in you know 1666, so it's very, very much the witch that sort of thing. And there's like a scene with eyeballs that just really, really freaked me out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, if it's, it's a really cool retro slasher thing. And so if you grew up in the, with the nineties scream or, you know, kind of those old, you know, camp fight, you know, campground massacre movies, things like that, you know, the trilogy is really good and, um, it's well acted. There's lots of death and murder and destruction and cursing, some sex, um, it's inclusive. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's all good there. Um, but yeah, give it a try if you haven't yet.
2: Uh, I'm Kelly Lawler. Uh, I watch television and what's getting me through this week is Schmigadoon, which uh, will be out on Apple by the time you hear this. It is a new musical comedy series produced by Lauren Michaels starring Cecily Strong and Keegan Michael Key. And if anyone has ever seen Brigadoon, yes, that has something to do with it. Um, the Cecily and Keegan play this couple who's kind of having relationship problems and they go on this couple's retreat in the woods and get lost and they end up in this town called Schmigadoon and they discover where every day is a musical and um, like people just burst out into song in real life Um, and then they discover they can't leave until they find quote-unquote true love which you know is great news for their relationship that's already on the rocks Um, so it's very fun it's very funny it's very earnest if you like 1950s, *Music Man*, *Sound of Music*, *Carousel* style musicals. This is the kind of thing that you will absolutely love. It's like both very loving and also making fun of that style of musical. It also stars a whole bunch of Broadway actors: Aaron Tveit, Kristen Chenoweth, Alan Cumming, Ariana DeBose, um, Dove Cameron, a bunch of other ones. Martin Short shows up for like a hot minute. Um, it's they employed a lot of out of work. Broadway people, because they filmed last fall, obviously, during the pandemic. So, um, you know, everyone is there's a lot of I feel like very high energy from like every member of the ensemble, which is huge and big. And they're all wearing skirts and bow ties and everything. And it's very fun.
1: So don't forget the Mothership is available for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you like to listen while you're on Apple Podcasts. It would be great if you could write a quick review about the show. Uh, By doing that, you help other fans love nerdy pop culture. Find us and we get some great feedback. Also, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. We're at MothershipPod, or you can email MothershipPod at USAToday.com. Uh, let's get to our main topic.
3: Before I was an Avenger, I made mistakes. And a lot of enemies.
1: call
0: called Sign's Taskmaster. He controls the Red Room. They're manipulated, fully conscious, but no choices. I should have come back for you. How many others are
3: there? Enough.
1: That was a clip from Black Widow, the new spy thriller starring Scarlett Johansson's longtime Avenger. The Marvel Universe is in huge flux this week following the release of Black Widow and the season finale of Disney Plus's Loki which unveiled a dude who looks like the main big bad villain of phase four. Sorry to Thanos, but we've got to move on. Uh, Brian talked with Black Widow scene stealer David Harbour. But before we get to that interview, we need to talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and what's to come. We're in a fast train spoiler town. So spoiler alert, if you haven't seen any of this stuff, you might want to go away for a little bit and then come back after you've watched everything. Uh, let's start with Black Widow, though. Um, Brian, I know you've seen the movie. What did you think of it?
3: I liked it. I, I surprisingly liked it a lot. And, you know, I'm not going to spoil too much for other people who haven't seen it yet on the podcast. Um, but, you know, it sets up, you know, it it, it ends one story. You know, obviously, you know, um, Black Widow died in Avengers Endgame. Rest in peace. Um this, and you know, this takes place after Civil War before Infinity War. So it, it ties together, you know, what she was doing and how she ends up with like the blonde hair and the vest that we see her in Infinity War. But also, you know, the post credit scene, you know puts her, you know, at an end, you know, her, you know, I think, I think, well, we'll get to where she might come back in a minute, but, you know, there, there might also be like prequels and stuff. She might, she might be gone. She might not, you know, Chris Evans and, and Robert Downey Jr. seem to be done. So, you know, so, so might Scarlet, but it sets up Elena Belova, who is Florence Pugh's fantastic new uh, Marvel character to be the new Black Widow. Um, and she's going to be in the, in the Hawkeye show on coming to Disney Plus later this year. And, you know, she is not the biggest fan of Hawkeye right now. And that's going to be an interesting thing to kind of see because, you know, I think if, if Hawkeye, if Hawkeye pulls a lot from like kind of the Matt Fraction Hawkeye comic book run where they have like, you know, the, the Russian bros and, and, and some of the other kind of like, Kind of street villains. It'd be interesting to kind of throw Elena in there in that mix as a possible foe for him and um, Kate Bishop, which is going to be Haley Steinfeld's character. So you know, she's. I think. I think um, Florence is going to be around the Marvel universe for a while, and it's great. It's it's really cool because I think she she has kind of like that cool Black Widowness, but also a different snarky younger character that we have and no nonsense but also kind of like traumatized um that we have not seen yet in the in the mcu
2: she's really funny and very naturalistically funny um i liked carol danvers in the comics but i felt like the iterations of captain marvel in the movies thus far hasn't made her feel very much like a real person um and so i think that's something that you get from galena that uh you know Natasha brought because she didn't have any superpowers. But um Yelena just feels a little more like someone you probably hung out with in high school or college for a while, um, who makes fun of you but in no way is doing it in a mean spirited way. Right.
1: So uh Taskmaster, how how was the, the main villain in this movie?
3: We're not gonna talk about Taskmaster. Was it that bad? <laughs> Yeah, I didn't even know he had a
2: name. <laughs> I didn't even know that he was like a guy. I thought they could have just invent, like, had a dude play him in the movie. Whatever. Yeah, they they ru-
3: they ruined that character, and, and I don't even know if they'll co- ever come back to. it. I mean, you know, the 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 person they've they've put in as the character, you know, they will come back. They might come back. You know, it depends on what you know, kind of what if there's another Black Widow story, you know, movie. What they do with Yelena. But like, yeah, it's it's not like the comics and it's kind of, it's it's not done too well. I, I think it's one of the more forgettable reveals that we've had. You know, as good as the movie is in terms of, you know, David Harbour's character and Rachel Weiss And even, you know, kind of they've done just as finally to Scarlet's character. and uh, And Florence is awesome. You know, Taskmaster is like the, you know, it is the weak link of this movie.
2: I just felt the whole third act of this movie was like the action set piece was the same action set piece from Captain America, the winter soldier.
3: Yeah. Falling, um, falling random falling,
2: a large know, thing, large falling large from, the sky. from the sky. Yeah. Slowly, <laughs> <laughs> very slowly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I guess it's too bad the TVA wasn't there to prune taskmaster, but let's move on though to Loki, because that I think had the finale that has a more memorable character appearance, which we'll talk about probably for a little bit, but let's just talk overall. Loki is a, A series. What did we think of Loki, the series in general?
2: I liked it a lot. I didn't really like the finale episode. It was very poorly paced compared to the rest of the season. Um, And that's not because I don't like exposition. It's necessary and there are ways to do it well, but there was a very, very, very long talky scene in the middle of the finale of Loki that went on far too long. Um, But it's coming back for season two, which is exciting. And it's the first of the Marvel Disney Plus shows to officially say that. Um, I don't know if Emmy nominations for WandaVision will change that for them, but uh, it is certainly, um, I'm interested in seeing it because it is the one that felt to me most like a TV show with, like, individual episodes that made a lot of sense as units. Um, So that I really enjoyed.
3: Yeah, and I I love the final episode. I wasn't really into the show until, like, probably episode th- 3 or 4 maybe yeah it took me a while to get into it but like once you know like you know kid loki showed up and crocodile loki and you you started to see really what how they were going to deal with time and the multiverse and and what variants meant in terms of you know what could happen in the overall MCU, I, f- I feel like it was a much better show, and I, I got into it more because I could see the forest for the trees, in a, in a sense. Um, and then the then the you know the finale, you know the guy I hoped who who showed up did show up, and he was awesome. Excuse my language, and he was I it was all I ever hoped for with him. Um, but it's kind of cool because they introduced this character, but also didn't introduce him in a in an interesting way, because we will see maybe a different part of him come back later,
1: yeah, they definitely hint in the finale that there is you know you know they've they've talked about all these variants, and there's definitely a hint at a a variant of this particular person that is going to pop up at some point, so right. yeah
3: we're, we're we're in spoiler town, so we might as well we might know, as well drop of, it we yeah. know we know Jonathan Majors, who's you know one of my favorite actors now he we knew he was going to play Kang the Conqueror in. The new Ant Man and Wasp movie. We didn't know how he would factor in, but now we know because you know we we he was the he who remains in the finale of Loki. But Sylvie stabbed this guy; he's dead. A Much worse version of him will show up, and has shown up by the end of you know end of the episode. He has a very, he has a very cool statue that looks <laughs> like the comic version of him. Um, And we don't know what that guy is like. And I think that's really really neat because it it showed, you know, it gave that that episode new life because it introduced a new character who was going to be important and then killed that person but gave enough of a sense of like, well, imagine that guy but like way worse. And now we're like, okay, well, now we we have a new Thanos and we have to probably wait to see really what kind of damage he's going to do to you know the timeline, to different the multi, to the multiverse, the next few films. You know, I think we've set up like almost like more of a Voldemort than like a, um, than a Thanos.
2: Not just because it said he who.
3: Yeah. Well. Yeah. Other than, <laughs> <laughs> <other than> that.
2: <laughs> what I liked is that I didn't know, I didn't have that casting information at the back of my head, so I didn't know who he was playing, and I felt like it didn't take away from like Loki the TV show to have this character who's going to be bigger show up here. Like, it didn't feel like this was his cameo so that he could go on to bigger and better things. It felt like they also paid attention to, end, well, not ending Loki's story, but doing a season finale. I was like, a li- I, for five seconds, I was like, did they just do that? Did they make loki's just so they could set up this villain and then they very helpfully said loki will return in season two because i wasn't expecting the show to get a second season because it hasn't been their model so far um and it makes a lot more sense why this the season ends on a big cliffhanger Mm -hmm. um which i'm much more willing to do if i'm gonna see it again in loki and not have to go buy tickets to a movie to get the end of a cliffhanger you saw on disney plus
3: well, but but you are because you know now the multiverse is broken. Sylvie has broken the multiverse, so this now sets up Doctor Strange. The new Doctor Strange sequel will have Loki in it, as well as Wanda, who is like maybe gone bad. We don't gone to the dark side. We don't know about that yet. But you know the subtitle is you know in the multiverse of madness. So we will he will be having to deal with that. Before that, we'll have Spider Man far far from home. No, Spider Man No Way Home. I'm sorry. That is that is going to be dealing with the spy, you know, the multiverse, this Christmas. So we might, you know, we we, we there's been rumors of multiple Spider Men from our from our past showing up, and I think this Sylvie breaking the multiverse now allows that to make to happen to make sense. Where why would Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire run into Tom Holland? Well, now we know, because. You know, the multiverse is broken. There's all these branches and variants and everything running around. And it's a bigger story. It's a bigger cosmic story like like the Infinity Stones that will go throughout probably all of Phase 4 and possibly beyond that. But then we also – while that's all going on, we'll have whatever Julie Louis-Dreyfus is doing on Earth in terms of, you know – creating either a thunderbolt squad or a dark avengers or something that will be something closer to home that will also you know be involved probably in the disney shows and the movies that you know is an undercurrent to the bigger overall cosmic story
1: and i think also you've got other stuff like eternals but then also some of the other stuff that they're gonna we're hoping they do at some point like fantastic four and x-men and stuff like that and i think all this paves the way for a lot of that as well
3: well, and Kang is a Fantastic Four villain, so that that makes sense for you know for them to kind of show up when he does.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I still don't know how Eternals is going. I I, st- I have no idea. I think I maybe Eternals is a way to bring bring in the X Men. I I feel like that's that's kind of like that's the only point I could see of them right now. I I, I don't see how they really connect to the bigger picture right now.
1: Well, one guy we're hoping to see more of in the MCU sooner than later is David Harbour, who stars as Russian operative Alexei, a.k.a. Red Guardian, a father figure to Natasha and Yelena in Black Widow. David's appeared in various movies and TV shows over the year, but broke out in a big way as Sheriff Jim Hopper on Stranger Things. He's also currently starring in Steven Soderbergh's No Sudden Move with fellow MCU actors Don Cheadle and Benicio Del Toro, now streaming on HBO Max. Brian got a chance to talk with David Harbour for a little bit.
0: Let's listen.
3: Hey David, how you doing, man?
0: All right, man. How are you?
3: Good. Thanks so much for taking time. Yeah, pleasure. How have you been? All right. <laughs> got the beard back.
0: I got the beard back. Yeah, a little bit. I gotta shave <laughs> it in a sec, but I, I do I prefer a beard, I think. It makes my chin look stronger.
3: <laughs> was that was that your full beard in Black Widow, or did you have like some beard help?
0: No, it was all me uh there's one shot on on a helicopter that we had to do as a reshoot and that is a fake beard it's literally me yelling out like oh something but the rest (laughs) of the movie that's all my real beard yeah
3: that's cool yeah so one of the most real things i've ever seen in a marvel movie is watching alexi try to put on that super suit after (laughs) so many years I feel like a lot of us are trying to figure out what fits and what doesn't after the last year. I feel like that's that's a that's a scene that's going to feel relatable to a lot of people.
0: I know it's very pressing. We who knew who knew that we'd go through it, we'd go through this when we were shooting it, we were better to release it. But now you're right, that scene takes on extra resonance. How
3: cool was it? You know, once you got the super suit on, how cool was it? You know, was it as cool as like Hopper's Hopper's outfit for you? You know, the uniform, the hellboy costume you wore was it was it up there in terms of things you wore
0: yeah it's one of the most one of the best things i've gotten to wear i mean they make it specifically i mean they they had a little bit of a tighter version for that particular scene but they really do mold it specifically to this 3d printout image of your body so it feels great to wear i mean it moves so well they're so sensitive and they made so many of them now that they uh they stretch in various ways the it just feels like great. Like it feels like a great onesie. Um, and I was very flattered. I think they were, uh, you know, they were, the guys were sweet and they were buttering me up and they were like, they really liked making it for a big guy. And they were like, you know, you don't need, uh, you know, with some of the, some of these, we put the fake muscles on, but you got, you got these big shoulders. it's Great. And I was like, yeah, guys, talk, talk me up. <laughs> I liked it.
3: Did you still have to go through like the Marvel fitness routine? I know like pretty much everyone has to go through this even though, you know, there's a lot of mass on him. Did you still did you still have to go through, you
0: know, the whole fitness thing? I mean, it, not I mean I did have to train. Like I yeah, I did I could eat whatever I wanted. I mean, he's supposed to be big. It was great. Like it was funny as the movie went on much the chagrin of the production team I was losing weight um and so they had to pad me out as we went along a little bit because uh I wanted to get I wanted the flashback scene to be very um him to be a very different body type for that and so um so Yeah, but I didn't, you know, I could eat whatever I wanted, which was great. But I did a lot of training to try to get as good as I could at the minimal stunt stuff that I had to do. And right when I got there, they threw me into, you know, in pre production, like boxing and various like started working with a little bit of Russian Sambo, like flips and things like that. Um, And I really, really loved boxing to the point where I continue to do it now and really got into it. But yeah, I mean, those guys really, you know, they really do know how to move. I mean, my the biggest part of my Marvel training was just convincing the stunt people with my neck muscles, my talking muscles to put the stunt guy in and they don't need to really see my face. That was sort of the most training I had.
3: When you know, when those moments where you do get to eat anything, what's your favorite thing to eat? (laughs) in in those times rather than like any other time
0: i mean if i'm eating just on my own whatever the hell i want to eat i really do have a sweet tooth sugar thing it's bad and it i'm not a salty guy like i don't care about potato chips and stuff but like you give me sweet stuff and baked goods in particular like you give me cakes and donuts and i could kill myself with sugar for (laughs) yeah i love cakes and donuts
3: Alexei's a guy who's super strong and could probably break out of that prison whenever he wanted, though seems content just arm wrestling inmates and having people to talk to on a regular basis. Is he a good soldier who need, who needs this family he once had to show him what he's missing in life? Or does he already kind of know that on some level?
0: No, I think that he does need to go on this journey with the people that take him on this journey. I think you're absolutely right. Like he's stuck in his life. and. He's stuck in the sense of he has tremendous shame, guilt and remorse, but he doesn't even know that he is ashamed and guilty. He's because he's so invested in his own narcissism and his own ego as a protective force against that shame that he has. He doesn't think anything's wrong. And so it really takes, you know, and it's such a beautiful idea that she sends him this figure Uh, and that that's what starts the whole and it's her it's the voice in that figure I mean you could really get metaphoric about that that like she comes to him in this old image of himself and that's what prompts his action as in you're right I mean there probably is some way he could have gotten out of there but he just he he occupied a certain uh kingship in this prison I mean guys line up to arm wrestle and he beats him one after the other and he thinks he's a big shot and then The family exposes to him that there's more to do and that he he should overcome these things. And so, yeah, they it really is. It's them that take him on the on the journey.
3: And and talking with the Marvel folks, did you ever figure out did he actually ever face Captain America or is that just kind of like all stories he just made up to pretty much tell people?
0: I mean, I wasn't interested in any of the reality of that. Because, again, I do feel like he himself lives in such a confabulatory reality. Like, he doesn't, uh, you know, even if it weren't true, he wouldn't believe that it wasn't true. I mean, it just is his reality in such a profound... He doesn't know he's lying, even if he is lying. So, I... I don't, I tend to, I don't think, I think that when he gets tripped up, I do think the reality is different, but I was just heavily invested in his own reality that I just invested the hell out of that. And I created for myself, this whole backstory about how he was (laughs) over by these guys and how he was actually, you know, the real, uh, the real hero in all these stories. Um, I love creating them.
3: how, how tricky is a Russian accent and how much does singing American pie in that accent complicate matters? (laughs)
0: That's funny. Um, Russian accents are very hard. There's a lot of sounds that Russians make that American dialect does not have. And in fact, I would be on set with the dialect coach or with, there was an actual Russian there too, who I occasionally go to and I'd go like, you know, what is this? You know, sometimes you can, you could say something in, in English, you could go like a that, like the, the the is the you know, and I would go like, what is that in in English? Like, what would the word be where that a sound occurs? And they'd be like, there is no equivalent, you know, for the some of these throaty guttural things, or even these. And I um so it was very hard. It was very hard. And, but eventually, you start to just get into an attitude of a character and a vibe and the way they sit and the way they carry themselves. And that, that helps me a lot with the accent just as much as the technical things is a very tricky accent to master but you know you do as you do as well as you can oh and singing american and singing, pie in it. singing uh,
3: american yeah. pie in that accent
0: yeah uh yeah it's just funny i mean that was a nice little metaphor that we came up with in rehearsals a nice little fun thing that we found i remember like you know in pre-production we were talking about how to make this scene with me and florence there had been a line at the end where he's leaving and we wanted to make it a little richer and florence and i came up with like maybe when she was a kid and she couldn't sleep you know she's like a three-year-old living with this new four-year-old whatever couldn't sleep maybe i would take her out in the car and drive her around and just play a tape of don mclean and she started to love it started to become this like transitional object for her. Um. And we were like, "Wouldn't it be great if there's nothing left to say?" I mean, he's a failure as a father, and the only thing he can really say to his daughter in that moment is, "I tried. I tried this. We used to drive around and do this in a secret way, you know." And I did, and and I, I love that for that for that moment. Yeah, but it's hard to do anything in a Russian accent. So,
3: <laughs> is it the first time you've ever sung in a, in a role? <laughs> I
0: don't know. It's a good question. Oh. Oh, I sang last year in Stranger Things. I think I sang along right. with a little Jim Croce, I think. Yeah. I sing terribly in lots of different stuff now. I guess it's my new brand.
3: Don't you get help from your wife with that? I feel like your wife should right be able to give you some advice.
0: <laughs> no, we know you know she's not interested in helping me with that at all.
3: Uh. <laughs> um Having Florence and Scarlett around, you know, obviously, you know, Scarlett's been, been you know, in these movies forever, you know, Florence, like you is kind of, this is her first time, but just, ha- just having them with to work with a lot, what was that like kind of work with them, but also watch their relationship kind of like bond and and change over the course of the movie?
0: Uh, it was great. And also Rachel, you know, like the three of them were, we were kind of a really fun family. Um You know, Florence and I initially hit it off very quickly, you know, and uh, we were just silly together and just jerks together. We just, you know, a little bit like, not really like set pranksters, but more like just with each other, like I would try to mess her up and try to like, you know, I would try, and she the same with me. Um, And then uh, Rachel and I, I mean, when I am met Rachel, started dealing there was such a deep connection she's we're similar in age and and similar generation and we also came up through like avant-garde theater and so i just had this great connection with her and i really you know i just had this warm feet i just loved her in a certain way so our relationship really kind of came out of this warmth um and then scarlett sort of has been the longest uh lasting in terms of like, I really do feel a deep connection, a friendship with her now. And she was initially, for me kind of the hardest to get to know because there was a mystery there. And I sort of liked that throughout the process, because she is in a sense, my el- oldest daughter, and I feel like the oldest child and the father relationship with a the daughter, there's something i don't know i'm just interpreting this for my own but you know there's a daddy's girl quality that goes into the pressures on the oldest the oldest daughter the oldest child the pressure to be somebody and clearly he's someone who puts that on her when he sees her for the first time what he says is it's like you're an avenger like you made it mm-hmm. and there's something about that that's kind of disturbing and so i liked the fact that in a sense scarlet uh, you know i loved her but we we weren't as close as the in the in the very very beginning and i really wanted to preserve that as we were shooting and then as we went along i just fell in love with her and we just became friends but um but i liked that dynamic that there was this warmth with melina this silliness with the baby of the family and then with my oldest child there was like almost a pressure there was like a little bit of a pressure which i thought was very precious for the the work
3: mm-hmm. I, I you get to work with so many people just on a, on a regular basis between the movies you do and you know i just obviously stranger things when you work with younger kids you know have you gotten used to that and do you kind of feed off of them in a different way than you do like benicio del toro and and don cheeto in, in a movie i mean do you is that a do you feed off of them differently
0: uh yeah i mean it's different you know uh wc fields a quote right never work with kids and animals and like i uh I mean, it's a weird dynamic, I have to say, and it doesn't get any less strange the further I go, you know, because for me, like the best parts of acting are when stuff is kind of real, like it's never really real. But, you know, you occasionally will have those days where you'll be doing a scene and, you know. Benicio or Don Sheila say something to you, and you feel like crap. You feel like, you know, you go home and you just like, you know, because it does whatever's real, you know, the bullets and the gun aren't real. But what's real is what's happening between the two human beings. And that's our job is to make that as real as possible, as visceral as possible. So it resonates for an audience. So when you're trying to do that with a kid, like it feels weird because it's like I want to treat these kids as if they were – you know, Kate wins as if they were the most serious co-star I could possibly work with. And so in that way, when I'm yelling at a kid or I'm angry at a kid or I'm trying to manipulate a kid or whatever, I want, I want that person to feel that, but that person is, you know, 12 years old. I mean, it sucks in a way. And I, and I, so, yeah, it's a, it's a very strange dynamic. I mean, the good thing that, the thing like a guy like Benicio has or whatever, is we very much understand that the feelings that happen on set can be very, very visceral and very real, and that they are work. Whereas I'm not so sure about the kids. But the other thing the kids afford that adults don't have is an unself-consciousness. And there's just something about young people and kids in general that are just like, they're just like fun little things that are growing. And it's kind of the point of life to watch these little things grow. And so that's just enjoyable to be around in general. But it's it's odd and it doesn't get any easier the more kids you work with.
3: <laughs> well you are it feels like, it feels like you are in kind of your Russian period because when we when you know when Stranger Things ever comes out, you know, your character's supposed to be in Russia in Siberia or Russia somewhere. So were you around Russians there too, or people with Russian accents there too? Was that part yeah. of yeah. all have, of this?
0: Yeah, we have a bunch of uh of uh you know if you saw just in that initial trailer down while going down that um train track you know all the um background players are are russian um mm-hmm. guards you know the prisoners the inmates a lot of russians and in fact when we were shooting that stuff in lithuania and the russians and Lithuania's eastern europeans just because there's a certain face that you can't but a lot of them didn't speak english too which was really fun and interesting to try to communicate with these people um uh because i don't speak russian either i don't speak uh, lithuanian i don't speak russian so um yeah but there's i've been around a lot of russians i should have picked up more russian than i have but uh <laughs> a lot of russians
3: I, I know you can't speak to any of the season but just coming back for that and to work with those kids again and to play that character again was it one of the most fun seasons you've had? Because obviously things get bigger every season. These kids get you know they get more adult every see you know every season. Is this one of the more fun ones you've had?
0: Yeah, I mean, I love it. This season is so enjoyable. I can't wait for people to see it. It's it's epic in a scope that we've never had. Um, and you know, enjoyable is a strange word. It wasn't easy. It was a lot of like cold nights. I mean, we're out in locations in crazy cold, snowy environments uh, sometimes, and in actual prisons. Um, so, and also even where Hopper is in his in his life, you know, he's he's in a dark, fragile, vulnerable place uh, to the point where he's shaved head. He's like a baby almost. he's re emerged he's rediscovering himself and what he is. Uh, so there's, and we also are going to see a lot of dark. Backstory from Hopper that we've only hinted at. We're going to start to get to know more about him. And that stuff's hard to play because it very there's a lot of really deep stuff this season for Hopper in dark places. Um, So it's not a, a sort of happy, enjoyable, but enjoyable in terms of like eating a party meal. Like, yes, it's a this whole season is. I think it's extraordinary and I I think that people audiences are gonna like really, really dig it and really love it. So yeah, it's enjoyable to do that work. Yeah, but not in a fun way. It's like right. it's very dark. It's very dark.
3: <laughs> you've been in so many TV shows and movies over the course of your career, and now you, you know, in a, in the in the scope of you know of just a few years, you've had a Marvel movie, obviously Stranger Things, as confusing that, a Steven Soderbergh movie. Do you feel like kind of you're in a a great little groove now, and you know and know in terms of you know where you are at your career i mean is this where you've always wanted to be
0: yeah i mean i didn't even know this was possible to be honest i mean this is something where like beyond your wildest dreams i mean i I, to me i was in a groove 15 years ago and i was doing plays and could make a living and afford my my studio apartment in manhattan like i afford my my rental (laughs) i i couldn't i never dreamed of this sort of world for me um so it's yeah, it's incredible, you know. And I I am so lucky. I was talking to a friend of mine, you know me. And, you know, I mean, there's always something too, though. Even though, you know, you're lucky, you're always kind of like, well, I want to do this. I mean, the human desire just never ends. It doesn't matter where you are. But he, he was saying to me, he was like, you get to do plays. You get to do indie movies. You get to do big movies. Like, what are you talking about? Like, very few people get to do that. And I was like, you're absolutely right. Like, even in these, uh, so... That sort of variety is, I think, so special about my career. And I'm really, really grateful for it. Uh, I'm very, very lucky. And I'm very blessed.
3: Fantastic, sir. Thank you so much for taking time. Appreciate
0: it. Thanks, man. Nice talking to you.
1: Okay, listeners, it's your turn. Are you caught up on Loki yet? What's your biggest hope for Phase 4 of MCU? Let's talk about it on Twitter. You can find us at MothershipPod, or you can tweet at us directly. I'm at molina 23
3: I'm at Brian Truitt.
2: And I'm at Lal's K-L-A-W-L-S.
1: Don't forget, you can email us too. We're at MothershipPod at USA That'll do it this week. Thanks so much for listening. Special thanks to our pilot slash producer of The Mothership this week, Natalie Boyd. And don't forget, you can subscribe to The Mothership for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Until next week, nerds out. Later.
2: Bye.